The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and join for as little as $5 per month to help support our show or become a, two, a tier two member to receive access to a wealth of information, including our 2023 returning production database and its 133 team pages packed with stats and designed to indicate which players have come and gone following the 2022 season. Thank you to our listeners who have become Patreon supporters by signing up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Today on the show, last week, you know, we did uh, offensive returning production and uh, its impact. We're going to do that this week on the defensive side. Um, it's a little bit of a, uh, quicker show this week. I'm going to be out of town next week. We have some scheduling stuff. So trying to get it in early. We got some spring games going on. Nick has got CFF rankings coming up. We've got, uh, we're going to have top 25 power rankings pretty soon here, Nick. So the action never stops and you are always working. So how's <laughs> it going? And, uh, are you enjoying these spring games that we've had so far? Yeah, I was able to to get uh, an eye on the Michigan spring game uh, for a bit, and I know that there are uh, there, there's at least one YouTube video of the BYU spring game. Need to, to take a look at that. Haven't gotten around to it just yet. But, I'll string together uh, a bunch of people's cell phone uh, videos <laughs> for those spring right. games. Right. I don't. I, I don't know exactly um, where it was televised. I mean, I guess. I knew they, I know they do have a, a university uh, TV station, so maybe that was it. Not sure, but um, unfortunately just haven't, haven't gotten to it yet. Did read a couple of uh, recaps of it. So we've got some notes from that, but yeah, pretty much since the last time we talked, I mean, same old, same old thing, just uh, trying to read through practice reports best I can, trying to get the CFF rankings buttoned up, excited. Hopefully we've got some, uh, certainly some new things to our CFF rankings an earlier uh, published date than, than we've had in the past, which will be nice. And we'll talk and talk about them a little more in depth on next week's show, I think, but um, also excited, you know, the team profiles are inching ahead. Um, do definitely feel behind on those, but we're looking pretty good for a mid May published date on uh, the FBS version of those. Uh, and then decided to change up the calendar a little bit to um, try to hit the best teams first, the teams I anticipate, you know, being top 40 type teams. Those are going to be uh, the first ones to, to be finalized. In years past, I did, you know, by conference or alphabetically or whatever. But um, I think it makes sense to, to switch it up a little bit and, and uh, find out for sure you know, did we see preseason number one Michigan spring game yesterday? I, I don't know that yet, but I have a I have a sneaking suspicion Michigan is going to be our number one team, um, which is probably going to be different than most folks who are you know obviously going to have uh, Georgia at the top of their 
uh, list, I would expect. Xavier, I mean, it would be like this podcast for Nick to put Harbaugh <laughs> at the very top over his own Georgia Bulldogs this is... in the power rankings. Of course, not Nick doing These it. They're not based on opinion. Yes, opinion. yes, we know, we know. <laughs> but, uh, that, I mean, that is pretty hilarious, right, Xavier? No, absolutely. Uh, this <clears> feels <throat> very much like every offseason when Nick gives me a team I can't absolutely stand at the number one spot. Last year, he was rousing about Oklahoma coming into the year. Uh this year they weren't number one they were number one, they were number one. They were yeah, a couple of years ago i thought yeah i had a similar suspicion of oklahoma kind of like i do with michigan it turned out to to not be correct but they were top three obviously too high same for usc this year they're going to uh-huh. be top three as well i'm pretty sure so get used to, yeah as as with everyone else usc is the new oklahoma because it's yeah. <laughs> so it'll yeah we're i'm going to be annoyingly uh high on <laughs> usc this year so it's cool yeah. I, I i get i get used to it every year the disrespect but it's okay it's okay it, it's it's not personal <laughs> and it's it's not opinion based so I, I don't take it as such yes but the, exactly but the, the numbers have been liars the last two seasons that's what i'm saying <laughs> well, so last year we had Ohio State number one is it by like the, the slimmest of margins yeah. over Alabama uh, and I feel pretty good about it I mean we talked just very briefly uh, whenever it was that I watched the, the replay of, of uh, the semifinal game and Ohio State very well could have beaten Georgia so that would have, have beaten Georgia yeah, some say, might argue should, should have, have beaten Georgia uh, so could have ended up looking very, very smart, uh, you know, sometimes things just don't work out, but uh, Georgia certainly was in the mix um, the last couple of years for us. I think we were higher on Georgia than just about anybody in sure. 2021. That's so it. that was, that was pretty, I think they were our number two and they were, you know, top five for most, but, but uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. I, I expect by April 15th, um, hopefully not, our next show, but the the following show, we'll be able to break down, you know, a top 15, top 20 uh, in our uh, preseason power rankings. Well, let's get to what happened on the field, the spring training uh, or spring practice. No, it's spring training. I'm used to, I got a lot of baseball in my brain this week, of course, uh, with opening week, but the big 10 was on hand for the uh, Michigan spring game in Ann Arbor in late March, which was very cold. McCarthy tossed a first quarter pick that uh, ended a promising opening drive, but finished seven for 10, 84 yards and a touchdown. Uh, A couple of impact defensive transfers impressed uh, in edge defender Josiah Stewart uh, from Coastal Carolina and linebacker Ernest Haussman from Nebraska. Running backs Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, CJ Stokes all set out the contest, which allowed Benjamin Hall to shine with 96 yards on 13 carry short yard specialist uh, Kaylee uh, Mullings scored in the first quarter. Uh, new Power 5 Big 12 member BYU also held its spring game Saturday. The Cougars were also without several starters, including running back Allen Robbins, the uh, transfer from UNLV. Uh, bowl game starting QB Sol J. Maeva Peters, uh, who has converted to running back and potential wide receiver one Cody Epps. Um, Keaton Slovis uh, has seemingly locked up the starting QB spot. Chase Roberts had a strong, strong spring. However, the Cougars were noticeably vanilla on both offense and defense in the scrimmage in an attempt to not show their hand. Uh, Southern Miss spring game featured a couple of tidbits. Clemson transfer Billy, my Billy Wiles might have passed Zach Wilkie in the QB pecking order. Um, <clears throat> oh, I just moved that. Sorry. 
Uh, and former Memphis uh, standout Derek Clark had three touchdowns to cap a phenomenal spring with Frank Gore sitting out the scrimmage. Uh, also, USC picked up the consensus top tight end recruit in the nation Friday night when five-star Deuce Robinson announced he was signing with the Trojans. Uh, Robinson, uh, who was the last unsigned five-star of the 2023 class, is also a star baseball recruit. His eventual MLB draft slot could complicate his football career, though Arizona, the Arizona native uh, also praised Lincoln Riley's handling of Kyler Murray's uh, two-sport success. So we'll see there. Fresno State will be without projected defensive starters following its uh, uh, following the dismissal of defensive back Braylon Lux and a significant entry to nickelback Justin Houston this spring. The Bulldogs rank 64th in defensive returning production, but 118th following the loss of QB uh, Jake Hayner, running back Jordan Mims, and wide receiver Jalen Cropper. Uh, so a lot to unpack here. A couple spring games, a couple notes. Nick, what did you see from this weekend? Well, so as always, you know, you kind of have to think of, of spring, uh, have to be careful about how you think of it. There, there are certainly some takeaways. There are some guys who impress, um, uh, you know, reading through coach quotes after the games or, or seeing press conferences and, and things like that. You can pick up some nuggets here or there, like who had a really, really strong, strong spring. Um, you know, one, one guy you mentioned, Dreek Clark at Southern Miss. Uh, Rodriguez Clark uh, has, has also been a, a name he's gone by in the past. Um, uh, you know, they said had a phenomenal spring. And of course, Frank Gore didn't play in the spring game. So he was able to, to come out and uh, produce. Not sure how that's going to factor in, um, but, you know, a, a note to file away. Uh, the fact that in every you know, write-up I've seen, the BYU coaching staff has basically said that you know Keaton Slovis is is the top quarterback, and um, you know part of the the fact that Soljay Maeva Peters has moved to running back, and unfortunately we didn't get to see him in the spring game. Um, you know that that takes a little bit of that potential competition uh, out. Would certainly love to see uh, Aiden Robbins big time. Transfer from UNLV had a really nice, uh, you know, start to last season. Um, there looks like, you know, could be in line for a big role at BYU, but that's a deep uh, group, one of the deepest they've got on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so, you know, not necessarily sure we would have learned uh, how that pecking order would go, but with it being in the spring, with it being. Um, you know, as cold as it was in Provo, I know there's snow <laughs> in the in the stadium in a lot of the, the photos I saw. So, um, uh, you know, they're these coaching staffs, whether it's Michigan or BYU, Southern Miss, and, and uh, others that we'll talk about over the coming, you know, four to six weeks and, until uh, these spring camps are, are pretty much wrapped up. They're not going to take a whole lot of risks especially with their top guys and and like byu you mentioned you know the coaches said that they were so vanilla um on both offense and defense you know that's that's to be expected as well so we we mine for information as much we as we can one place where i think we uh maybe can learn a little bit more perhaps than others is actually player quotes like if if you get a, an outlet that has interviews uh, with, you know, players after the, the, uh, spring game or whatever, as people are 
kind of mulling around on the field. Uh, sometimes you'll get maybe a little bit more information w- without a coach, you know, looking over their shoulder uh, to see who really has impressed, who really may have separated themselves. Um, but for the most part, you know, not, not too many major takeaways. Good to see that those uh, transfers are, are going to, uh, you know, play a big role potentially uh, on the defensive side for Michigan. I think that's a big piece of why they're, you know, going to be, if not number one, very, very close um, in our power rankings as, as they were able to bring in some big-time productive players, some really talented guys um, to fill in some of the holes that, that they had there and, and on the offensive line as well. So, um, you know, I think it's important to, to try to pay attention as much as you can. Uh, the notes you mentioned for, for Fresno State, you know, injuries, guys getting dismissed from the team. That stuff, of course, of course, is very important and, and is important to track. Um, but kind of have to be cautious a little bit. Uh, don't necessarily want to overreact to a J.J. McCarthy interception. Um, don't necessarily want to <laughs> But it's overreacting season. Come on. I know. I know it is. And, and, you know, he was shaky at times. Didn't look great on a few, on a few throws. Uh, but I – Personally, I'm not worried. Um, think he'll be fine. Um, but, you know, also try not to overreact when you hear something, you know, super positive, like Dreek Clark. Yeah, he's been good. You know, had showed some some promise a couple of years ago at Memphis. Didn't play at all last year. Um, but uh, good to see that he's, you know, back and healthy. Um, can give a team like Southern Miss some depth. But you know, Frank Gore is still, still the guy there. And and so hopefully he won't have to do everything like he has, you know, the last couple of years, but um, probably shouldn't expect, you know, a backup running back that we haven't seen on the field in a couple of years to uh, be a major impact guy as well. So um, good to pay attention to this sort of stuff, but, but in some cases, try not to pay too close attention if that makes sense. Nick acting like he doesn't want to see Wildcat Frank Cord Jr. Come on, we all want to see Wildcat Frank Cord Jr. a little bit it is more. Fun. It is fun. It, it, it is fun. Uh, Xavier, um, how much of the Michigan game or BYU or any of these uh, did you get to see? Because I saw you uh, maybe disagreeing with Nick on uh, JJ McCarthy's interception. Yeah, it was bad. Like I like I agree with Nick. <laughs> I, I can agree with Nick and say that you don't want to te- you don't tend to overreact to you know maybe some things on the field. But when you've got a tight end so open, he could have tied his shoes, untied them, and tied them again, and he overthrew him by let's just put it this way: Darnell Washington wouldn't have caught that ball. Yeah, that it, it, he skied it, and he was in a clean pocket. Like would Yao Ming have caught it? Probably gets a hand on it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it just it was, it was just concerning for a guy who I think JJ's biggest concern throughout his tenure at, at uh, Michigan is can he just be a quarterback, right? Can he play the quarterback position and not just be an athlete? Um, and I think that that's always that's been a little bit of a concern for a lot of Michigan fans um, if they're going to actually reach that next level. And for him to miss on that going into the third year, going into third year, you know, his second year purely as a starter. Those are just throws I don't want to see you miss, right? Like, even if you had underthrown it, cool. But, like, we're not throwing it to the safety who's playing seven yards behind him. That's where I'm like, okay. And the other part about it that kind of concerned me a little bit was he just didn't look comfortable in the pocket at times. Um, And once again, he played in a relatively clean pocket. 
throughout the throughout his throughout the uh, Michigan game, so or the spring game. So I was a little bit concerning. Uh, same thing goes for Keen Slovis at, at BYU, but he looked more like he just had gone into a system, a new system. Uh, you know, they kept it very vanilla, but even then, he just looked slow to his reads. Uh, one of them leading to an interception as well. Uh, just looked slow uh, on finding men uh, that were open. Uh, the other piece too is they're going to miss P- uh, Puka Nakua. They're, they're, somebody's going to have to step up at receiver for them. Um, and so yeah, like I just think that some of the things, like I said, from McCarthy, you just hope not to see from a guy who is going to be coming, you know, off of a college football playoff, you know, game where you know he played pretty darn well, uh, all things considered. Um, uh, you know, you take back a couple of calls from the referee, he probably has two more, what, two more touchdowns. Uh, so I, I just think that you, you would expect more from him. Um, and then for like I said, for Keen Slovis at BYU, he just didn't look like he was too fond of the system just yet. Uh, he looked a little bit slow on his read, but that's a, that's to be expected. I said this about Jane Daniels last year going into LSU game. He looked very, he looked kind of slow on his reads as well. Um, it looked like he, but you know, obviously Jaden, I think transferred into LSU like what a month before the spring game or something like that. So, uh, but I'm just looking for Keaton Slovis just to give me some consistency, buddy. Like, look, this is your third team in as many years. Um, you know, I, I need you to give me some type of level of consistency at the quarterback spot, or this is it, right? Like he's, he, this, this is this, it. Yeah. You've got to think this is his last rodeo. If he doesn't work out here, he's got nowhere else to go slash. I don't even know if he has any eligibility after this year as it is, but even if he does, you don't think he's probably going to be at a, at a, at a high power five or, you know, at all. So I'm hoping to see more from Keaton come fall camp. Um, and like I said, he's going to need. They're going to have to find out what their receivers can do pretty quickly. Puka Nuku was going to be missed. Definitely. <laughs> he's going to be missed. Um, they were battling, but but like we talked about last episode, I expect defenses to play better in spring games because – They should be ahead. Yeah, you can no, play – No vanilla timing defense. with them. Right. Not you as much play time. play vanilla anyway. defenses, and it still worked to perfection. I mean, hell, they, they, did, they, they did – both teams did that all game. Um, and, and it worked. And also, uh, when you're running vanilla stuff, the defense should win that. You yeah. know, the, the the part that made me laugh when I was reading some of the notes about, um, I was reading some of the notes about the game, is one of the guys, one of the beat writers, talked about how Keen Slovis looked great in like seven on seven in warmups, and I was like, yeah, I, I would hope so. With no pass rush, no nothing, I would hope Keaton looks excellent. Um, you know, when he's standing in the pocket, completely clean. Uh, by just pure fact, I hope he would look better than you know when obviously there's a pass rush and you know people trying to get after him. So, oh, and a quick side bit, I, I love the fact that uh, BYU allowed their their third their third string and fourth string quarterbacks to uh, get hit. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was an interesting decision. Uh, you know, quarterbacks, you know, brought when we you know for even when we played at the NAI level, put on the black jerseys, you touch them, you're losing your scholarship, right? So <laughs> the idea that they were running, you know, RPOs and letting the quarterbacks take off and letting, you know, the quarterbacks take hits. I was like, okay, I like more this. proof that time is cyclical. <laughs> uh, we're back to hitting quarterbacks in practice. I mean, uh, that is, uh, that is crazy. Um, a couple notes here before we go on uh, to the defensive side of the ball, things that Nick put in here that Nick thinks we, we should have mentioned last week and probably should have. But Old Dominion head coach uh, Ricky Ronnie hired Fordham OC Kevin Decker over the winter. Decker's unit averaged 49.5 points, 413.7 passing yards, and 195.2 rushing yards for the 9-3 Rams last season. He also brought in All-American 
brought back an All-American in Tim Dormorant's backup, Grant Wilson, to challenge incumbent Hayden Wolf there. So interesting moves. Their uh, research note posted on uh, Twitter by J.D. Yonke Sunday morning noted that uh, new Western Michigan head coach Lance Taylor and offensive coordinator Billy Kosh, who was hired from FCS Richmond, hope to ramp up the pace for the Broncos to run 80 to 100 plays per game. Uh, that would be uh, pretty impressive. Importing a prolific FCS offense has been popular in recent years and it doesn't always work. But when it does, like Western Kentucky, it has been historically uh, run here. So just a couple notes, Nick. I think these are uh, good things to hit and, um, you know, at least higher scoring in some of these games we should project, right? Potentially. And, and the old Dominion one is is one that I just felt, and I tweeted about it uh, after we published the show last week, is one of those where, you know, as soon as we hang up, I think, ah, oh, man, forgot, you know, should have mentioned that. Um, that's, that's one I've definitely got my eye on, part of it, you know, working through those CFF rankings right now. And so uh, 49 and a half points and over 400 yards passing uh, is eye catching. And certainly, uh, you know, the Sun Belt is, is not the Patriot league, but uh, that offense was uh, pretty incredible. And so, you know, you look at a guy like Hayden Wolf, who has had some moments, certainly has not um, established himself, you know, even as the, the, guaranteed starter coming into this year uh right now i find it a little hard to believe that grant wilson who was a backup at the fcs level uh last year just you know on paper that doesn't necessarily uh make me think he's going to be a real challenger but uh could be wolf um and it could be a really really uh desirable spot for a transfer, you know, if we get a, a transfer after spring practice, maybe Old Dominion uh, is going to be, you know, looking for for somebody who can come in and and challenge those two guys. And if it works out, um, you know, the ceiling is very very high. Uh, the Western Michigan note, I'm less interested in. Uh, we talked about Western Michigan uh, and how low they rank in returning production. Um, also, you know, new coaching staff. Uh, but, you know, a new offensive coordinator, they never worked together or, or you know, at least didn't work uh, together uh, most recently. You know, not that Decker worked with Ronnie before, but uh, Kosh coming from the FCS level, Lance Taylor being a first time head coach. I'm just I, I am not sure the ingredients quite go together as well there as it could potentially uh, click at Old Dominion if, if they can get the right pieces together. Um, but you never know. You know, an offense, um, sometimes you can sort of, uh, you know, do the, the cliche, catch lightning in a bottle, um, and maybe maybe they're able to make it work there. But I'm, I'm less optimistic about Western Michigan, but it's definitely something to note as we look ahead to, um, you know, our statistical projections. Um, and when we're, we're looking, you know, starting to dig into things like, uh, you know, per game, uh, totals over unders, things like that. Yeah. Xavier, it's hard to bring in, um, coordinators that did amazing things elsewhere and immediately have the system work. Now, like Nick pointed out when it does, it works historically, you know, uh, like Western Kentucky, Georgia Southern last year, um, uh, you know, moving to an air raid, uh, going from a triple option was wildly successful for, you know, we've seen, Many teams try to, you know, reproduce that magic and fall flat on their face. So Absolutely. it's risky but fun 
We know that. Yeah, and you know, it's also just a, a I think, somewhat of a test for those, anyways, right? Because uh, you even think about what you know, Hypo ended up doing at Tennessee. It you know, it wasn't immediately the first year, but you know, it took two years, which isn't a long time for anybody, you know. And, and you know, now they ran, yeah, one of the best offenses in the country last year, and obviously one of the fastest offenses in the country. The first thing that I heard when Nick ran out, read out that they were going to eighty to one hundred plays a game, was we are running the mm-hmm. entire spring and summer that cardio session is going to be whole l for the next <laughs> four or five months we're running stadiums we are doing everything we possibly can that we i, I can already hear it we might not be the best we might not be the strongest but we're going to be the most well-conditioned team in this in the country i can hear it already <laughs> ringing in my head it's giving me ptsd uh, of the idea you know of a guy coming <laughs> in and the first thing he's saying is all right receivers put the weights down Let's go outside, and you're just running. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, you know, it's one of those situations like like Nick alluded to. If it works, man, you know, this is this is one of those situations where if it works at Western Michigan, he's gone in two years, and he's at a P5 school, you know, and he's now one of the hottest names in all of college football because his offense is, you know, is transcending what you know what a team can do, especially for a team in Western Michigan that you know, especially in a excuse me in a conference like the MAC. That if you can have stability on the offensive side of the ball and really, you know, put up ridiculous numbers, it's well respected throughout college football. He'll be gone in two seasons if this really does work. So, yeah, yeah, I understand that. On the other side of the coin, though, <laughs> if you're going as fast, you know, if you're going this fast and you're you're just not that good, I mean, how many times? Mm-hmm. You know, could we see three and out and what ninety yeah, like seconds off the seconds. clock or less? Yeah. And yeah. Then, possessions for the other team. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and your defense is you know put in a potentially bad spot, uh, and you just you know. I remember. Yeah. I remember growing up. That was a huge question every time somebody watched Oregon play. It was like, look, they're great, right? But they can't slow the game down when necessary. Um, and as always, that's always a question with these teams that move this fast is can they slow down the game when they have to slow it down? Um, we saw some of that problem last year with Tennessee when they played at Georgia. They probably should have slowed down. And they were like, no, we're just going to keep going fast, fast, fast. And Georgia was like, cool, we're going to keep sitting in the same blitz because y'all aren't slowing down to figure out how to fix this. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it obviously, it's a double-edged sword. Lots of uh, lots of fun seeing these high-powered offenses move. I love and, it. And it will be entertaining one way or the other. Whether they are wildly <laughs> successful and, and, and it's a lot of fun, great, or if they're getting beat down because they can't execute any of it, it will absolutely uh, be entertaining. But let's go to the defensive side now. And Nick has um, pointed out a lot of stuff here. You know, we talked about how last on the offensive side, there were almost 70 changes uh, to the offensive coordinators, 53 on the defensive side. Uh, this year, among the notable changes, Alabama hired Kevin Seal to replace Pete Goulding, who landed at uh, Ole Miss. Florida opted for a 20-something D.C. Adam Armstrong, uh, the Southern Miss D.C. in 2022, following a short stint on the Crimson Tide staff. Um, the architect of the Illinois Elite 2022 defense, Ryan Walters, is now the head coach at Purdue. Um, waiters, excuse me. 
Is it Walters or Waiters? Oh my lord, we need to make this. Uh, I'm getting old, Nick. We got it. We got to bump this up to 14. I think my eyes are. Yeah, um, I usually yeah. operate at nine. Yeah, this it, is it, it's you're wearing glasses. I don't have glasses. <laughs> on. Yeah, that, that's, okay. that's Walters. Yeah, that's Walters. Uh, uh, yeah, Walters. Um, Brett Bielema promoted Aaron Henry uh, to the role, and then three, three, five veterans Rocky Long uh, went to Syracuse. Tony White uh, to Nebraska. Have new homes, and Miami plucked Lance Gidry from Tulane. Willie Fritz's. Uh, Willie Fritz turned to Troy's Shield Wood, Wood uh, whose Trojans ranked 21st in defensive team performance last year and also ranked among the top 10 nationally in defensive units, exceeding expectations. So a lot, a lot of new faces on the defensive side as there were on the offensive side. Not as many, but uh, big Im- impacts on uh, the DCs as well, Nick. Yeah, and, and it uh, flies under the radar a little bit. Um when you're changing a system, when you're installing a new defensive system, um, part of that is, is, you know, uh, maybe there's a little less, uh, and this is a very, very general statement. I'm sure some people probably scream at this, um, but there's a little less uh, diversity as far as, you know, defensive schemes. Sometimes what you do is dictated by uh, how the offense lines up, you know, kind of limit some of the things that you're able to do. Um, and we're seeing a lot of defenses that uh, are, are, you know, look a little more like your common college uh, defense now, of, you know, five guys on the, uh, in, in the secondary and, and, and things like that. Um, obviously there are folks like Rocky Long who've been doing the three, three, five for a very long time. It's going to be kind of interesting to see, how he transitions uh, to the Power Five level at Syracuse, a, a team that um, you know could could uh, use a little bit of a, a, a bounce back after a disappointing end to last season. Uh, I'm really intrigued by what Tulane did. Lost one of the better defensive coordinators, certainly at the Group of Five level. A uh, really really talented guy in Lance Gidry, um, and Shield Wood, you know, had that Troy unit. Um, really, really uh, playing very well and, you know, would expect that um, both Tulane and Troy are going to have uh, solid defenses, uh, you know, coming up this year. We saw, like you mentioned, at at Illinois, they promoted from within. So um, there are certainly, you know, multiple things you can do to put together um, your best chance on defense. You know, these just handful of examples show, uh, you know, a guy like Nick Saban went to somebody he's very familiar with, has worked with Kevin Steele in the past. Uh, Florida sort of plucking the, you know, wonderkind uh, type guy. Uh, will it work? Will it not? You know, Florida and, and the SEC is not quite Southern Miss. Um, and that situation doesn't necessarily, uh, at least right now, seem like Florida's maybe moving in the the very best sort of a little bit of a high pressure situation which uh when you think of a guy being on the the biggest uh stage in college football for the first time as a defensive play caller you know could make you a little bit nervous uh but we'll see certainly you know Armstrong had that Southern Miss defense playing really really well and and Saban thought enough of him to uh basically it it sounded like his plan was to sort of um uh, kind of, kind of uh, give him a year or two, and then he was the the coordinator and waiting sort of sort of thing. So uh, obviously had an opportunity to to go to Florida and 
couldn't pass it up. But, um, you know, Illinois tried for consistency, but then uh, folks like, you know, Mario Sandoval at, at Miami plucking the, um, you know, the more talented uh, established play callers from a slightly lower division. So uh, just sort of, you know, interesting to see how these changes, you know, how to approach these changes. And most of the time, you're not going to see quite a wholesale, just completely different system like you might on the offensive side of the ball. But it's still, you know, I think good to be aware of, of who's moving where and where they had success and uh, things like that. So maybe these coaching changes won't have as big of an impact as they do it on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, still, still I think, important to note who's moving and, and where. Xavier, when you look at the uh, D.C. movements here, what sticks out to you the most? Well, first, obviously, you know, Florida, you know, opting for a 20-something-year-old, I think, is extremely risky. I mean, obviously, you know, I think aligning yourself with a young coordinator can either go one of two ways, right? Either he's going to be excellent and you'll have him for a while, um, you know, as he kind of earns his stripes, especially being at UF, there's not many better places for him to go. Uh, so you'll be able to keep him for a while or, you know, I'm not going to say it could be a career ender for the, for, for Armstrong, but it definitely sets you back. If at 20 something years old, your first gig goes horribly wrong or your first major gig, let me say that much. Uh, you know, I, I just think that it could, it, it, it could go south, um, especially understanding that Florida is kind of rebuilding its defense from the ground up. As far as on the recruiting trail is concerned, uh, this is a team that over the last, you know, three or four years, hasn't recruited the best talent on the defensive side of the ball. And we've seen that, uh, you know, uh, with the lack of drafting of Florida players on the defensive side of the ball. Florida used to just put them out like it was, you know, like they were hot kicks. Uh, that's obviously dwindled. And they may have one, maybe two guys drafted this year um, off of that defense. So they're definitely having to refill the coverage there uh, for, the, for the Florida defense. So to know that as well uh, gives me a little caution for concern. I'm extremely excited to see what Rocky Long – is able to do at Syracuse with that 335. Um, the 335, as we've seen in the past, uh, last year with uh, you know, TCU, could work to amazing, you know, amazing heights. We also saw what happened when you put that 335 against teams like a Georgia. Um, so I'm excited, I'm, I'm excited to see how this looks in the ACC, um, especially when you look at a lot of the teams in the ACC are can be very run heavy. Clemson over the last couple of years has been run heavy. Uh, Wake Forest has been balanced, but, you know, obviously they lead with the running game. And so, you know, how you defend against the run with a 3-3-5 is always unique, right? TCU did it from a very speed perspective. They let your linebackers just come straight downhill, in some ways blind, uh, but, you know, attack the football all, all, all off the snap, right? Others want their linebackers to be more, you know, uh, conservative and, and read the defense before attacking. Um, and put more earnest on having big guys in, in your front three. So they're, you know, they kind of, you know, keep up on the, the defensive line or the offensive line so that their linebackers can assess the situation. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm excited to see how the three, three, five kind of matures through some of these conferences. Uh, because I think that as we're seeing not only in college, but in the pros, having a nickel out there is just what it is. Like you're, you're running five guys who can cover regardless of whether they're considered linebackers or safeties or corners it's happening. And so I think as that continues to happen as a guy who likes defense, we're seeing that more in the NFL. Hell, the Falcons just took just uh, elevated to DC, who's going to probably be running a four-two-five this year, um, and Ryan Nielsen from the Saints. So, I kind of just want to see how it continues to mature uh, throughout college football, because obviously 
college football affects the pros. We say this all the time. So, yeah, I, I'm, excri- I'm excited to see what Rock Long does at Syracuse, um, who needs a defense at right now. Like, their defense over the last couple of years just has got to be better uh, if they're going to have any chances of, you know, elevating from just the mid-tier of the ACC, especially for a team that last year, I thought that if they had to play better at Clemson, they would have won that game. Uh, I think they had that game pretty much sewn up for about three and a half quarters. Uh, and they kind of just let it go at the end there. Uh, but, yeah. Um, and then lastly, I love Miami deciding to go get Lance Gidry from from Tulane. I mean, what he was able to do there obviously shows uh, his ability as a coach. And, and I think right now Miami needs just an inflection of energy into that to that team. That, that, that school, and I talk to Miami fans and beat writers pretty regularly, and they just need a little injection right now. That, that, that university fee is feeling the last half a decade, almost a decade of just being either middling or below that. And so they need an injection of that. I think Crystal Ball was the first piece of that last year, but even then had a pretty eh year. Um, so they definitely needed in the coaching staff to get Miami back to where their fans wanted to be. And also we're, we're a little off schedule here. So there are a couple of, a couple of hiccups, my mistake, Austin Armstrong. 29 okay. Okay, cool. year old <laughs> yeah i wrote i wrote adam i think we messed up a couple of first names earlier uh so my, my bad working out the kinks here on a sunday i mean at least you can read it uh so not me i gotta squint so uh but let's get to what happened last year and then obviously we'll look at uh the returning production for this season but um the teams that exceeded over expectations uh you look at this and of the top 15, Nick, only one had less than 50%, and only a couple had under 60% of their returning production coming back. So um, you could see that on the opposite end, in the most disappointing side, which obviously you'll get to in a second. I'm kind of skipping ahead here. But on the the most disappointing side, I mean, it was a strong mix of a couple teams over 50% returning, uh, you know, one team over 61% returning production um, all the way down to, uh, you know, under 20% for Hawaii. So it was way more of a mixed bag as far as the disappointments went. But, uh, you know, the, the teams that were rising, almost all of them, except for Michigan, who was 15, uh, had over 50% returning on the defensive side. Yeah, well, so uh, one thing that that probably if you've listened to the last two shows, you probably picked up on um, because we did see that, that there was a pretty strong correlation, at least on the low end of returning production uh, for teams overall. When we looked at overall team performance, which is uh, if you're unfamiliar, the way that we grade statistically how well a team plays on, you know, on the field based on uh, advanced statistics, we try to boil it down to, to one number, uh, basically a rating between 100 at, at the very, very top and, and, you know, high 60s at the very, very bottom, uh, similar to our, our video game ratings uh, for individual players. But, um, you know, we didn't see a very strong correlation on the offensive side of the ball. So you kind of have to deduce that there is going to be a pretty uh, strong uh, correlation defensively when, when you look at these. And um, on the offensive side of the ball, when we compare – our projected uh, defensive team performance to uh, what actually happened last year, the teams that over exceed, you know, uh, 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 
exceeded expectations the most, uh, as you alluded to. Number one, Louisville, then Texas, Oregon State, Marshall, Illinois, that elite unit last year, uh, James Madison, Missouri, Texas State, Troy, who we talked about a little bit, Southern Miss, who we talked about a little bit, uh, Mississippi State, New Mexico State, TCU, UConn, and Michigan. Um, you mentioned some of the, the returning production numbers. I think what you know jumps out to me the most, uh, while there are only a couple who were at the, the very, very high end, Troy was fourth in defensive returning production last year. New Mexico State was fifth, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, New Mexico State really surged at the end of last season, ended up getting to a bowl game and winning it to almost everyone's surprise. Um, but there were a couple, you know, on the very low end as well. You mentioned Michigan, who is kind of one of those uh, maybe exceptions. You know, we, we've talked in weeks past about how Georgia, Alabama, um, you know, teams at the very, very top of the talent ratings uh, maybe should get a little bit of a, an exception on returning production just because they are talented enough to overcome it. Um, but another interesting one to me was James Madison, who uh, ranked 104th in returning production, you know, with Michigan being 116th. They were the only two uh, on the outside of, of the top 100. And James Madison, who moved up from the FCS level, um, part of that maybe, maybe we were just too low on what we expected from them, but um, they really did, you know, rank very, very high as far as these teams that that exceeded our expectations. Um, on the the defensive side, uh, to me, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, when you look at the rankings of these teams that were the bottom fifteen, most disappointing. So they, you know, their uh, actual defensive team performance uh, just came up, you know, really, really shy of what we projected. Um, the, the bottom of the, the list was Arizona State. They had a lot of problems, obviously. Um, you know, things going on in the locker room, on the field, off the field, that sort of stuff. Uh, but Hawaii, who was dead last in returning production this time last year on the defensive side of the ball, uh, was the second most disappointing. Then we have Tulsa, which lost their defensive coordinator, somewhat notable, promoted from within. So, you know, for a team like uh, Illinois, who kind of, you know, let's keep the, the good things going. Um, you don't always, uh, you know, it's not always so easy. Uh, but then uh, running out the, the, you know, bottom five, Colorado and Houston. Uh, then the sixth most disappointing was West Virginia, then Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Army, Auburn, uh, North Carolina, or excuse me, uh, North Texas. North Carolina was very, very bad, but we didn't expect them to be all that great. Uh, so North Texas at 121, uh, App State, 120, Coastal Carolina, 119, UCLA, and FAU round out those those bottom 15. So on average, the the teams here at the bottom who disappointed the most ranked 105th uh, in returning production. All but five of them ranked outside of the top 100. And the teams that, that you know, didn't rank, uh, you know, outside that top 100, all of them ranked 69th or lower. Um, so it's, it's, you know, pretty clear that if, at least based on last year, and as we talked in the past, really would be ideal to look at a, a three-year window. Um, but our data is still a little bit weird, uh, within that current three-year window because of, of, uh, the extra year of eligibility everybody got in 2020, uh, looking at last year specifically, if you were on that low end in returning production on the defensive side of the ball, 
chances were you were going to come up on the, the wrong side as far as expectations uh, coming up short on, on, you know, expectations uh, at least when it comes to, to our projections. Um, so it, it's, you know, not, not a guarantee as we saw with a team like James Madison and a team like Michigan who were on, you know, the right side exceeded expectations, but most of these teams, um, you know, when you have to just fill so many holes to players lost to graduation, outgoing transfers, uh, and you're not able to fill them because we do adjust, you know, based on incoming transfers. Um, it's just really, really difficult to maintain your level uh, of performance on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Xavier, when when you look at these teams from last season, what stands out to you in terms of uh, the re- the returning production, who performed well, who didn't perform well? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think when you look at lack of return production on the defensive side, something that I think is key when we look at that is how many of these teams the previous year played in blowouts? Stay with me here. With a team like a Georgia, right, they may not have had a ton of returning production. However, a lot of these kids played in the fourth quarters of their games the previous year. That goes a long way in helping out the, the, the following year of some of these kids being better than maybe we expected them to be. Uh, you know, with, so with these, with these larger teams or even these more successful programs, getting reps against SEC-level talent or your, you know, or your conference-level talent in that fourth quarter, even if it is for you know, 12 minutes, 13 minutes, whatever, goes a long way in helping out these kids going forward because it gives them in-game action. This isn't the first time that they've run the off the defense. It's not the first time that they've had to run certain schemes. Um, and I think Kirby does this a lot. Obviously, this is also a Saban thing that he's been doing for a very long time. So obviously you see the correlation. But you know, it, it, it does help. And I think, you know, for Georgia to be that low on the list and still have the defense that they were this year, it obviously wasn't last year's defense. But for all intents and purposes, it held their water when when necessary. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that goes a long way. Outside of that, the other piece that I think is huge, you know, and I want to see what this year's numbers are going to mean as well, is a lot of these G5 schools that have extremely productive players, they're moving to high P5s immediately. And not only that, but even struggling defenses that do return, that you know, that, that have like maybe one, two, or three guys that are extremely imperative to the team's success on defense, they're even leaving. Case in point, I think Georgia State. Georgia State was one of the worst defenses in college football last year. They had four guys leave, or I can only think of four guys off the top of my head. One went to USC. The other went to Miami. Like, they are not only taking guys from, you know, they're not only punching guys from good defenses around the G5. If you've even got a, you know, a a good to to great player on a bad defense in the G5, they're plucking them away too uh, to add to their coffers. So I'm – so for G5 teams as well, when it comes to returning production, a lot of that might just be the fact that, look, (laughs) your guy got plucked, man. Like, just is what it is now. That's the nature of the beast. No longer are they going to JUCO or to high school. They're looking at some of these G5 programs with guys who who have a year, two years, hell, even sometimes three years worth of reps – and they're leaving. You know, Jared Verse is one of the guys I think of off the top of my head, right? Went to Florida State, had a really good year last year. You know, decided to go back, right? But if he leaves, that's probably 20% of their sacks last year, or if not 30% of their sacks last year, gone just like that. And it's because it was a one year rental from a G5 program that also goes into this as well. So I'm not too totally surprised. Obviously, Georgia was the only one on here that I think extremely 
maybe outperform their lack of returning production in 2022. Uh, but the teams that did and still struggled, I think that could also be lending to the fact that if they're at the G5 level, teams are just plucking a lot of your guys, man. Like it's just, it's, like I said, it's the nature of the beast right now. Yeah, it's very different, Nick. Uh, you know, uh, some of these teams being able to produce and um, how does how does that factor in? I think you talked about it last week, but remind me how does how do transfers uh, factor into returning production? Because they produced at some schools, but they didn't produce at the one they're going to. So how does that line up? Right. So it's it's a little bit complicated, and the way we've decided to do it, and I think it's similar to what some other people do. Uh, I think it's similar to what Bill Conway does in, in returning production, who, of course, is the, uh, you know, the most well-known who, who digs into this sort of thing. Um, basically, so we track, and, and this is included in our returning production database. We were, we track, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, we track the production that's lost to guys who transfer out, you know, graduation, NFL draft, all that sort of stuff, and, and take a number there. Um, and then we go through and, uh, you know, take those same stats, uh, but include the players who are added. Um, and so you can see, you know, the percentage based on last year's, you know, total number of tackles. You'll see, oh, they brought in, you know, these four guys who uh, together, you know, are 21% just as an example of last year's total tackles, maybe 13% of last year's tackles for loss, 8% of their sacks, whatever. Um, and we add that to the mix to make an adjusted number. I don't know if I'm explaining this perfectly well, but so let's say, for example, uh, team A, um, you know, last year they had, they had uh, 100 tackles and they lose – 20% of those, so they bring back 80%. But they added, you know, a, a guy who had 10 tackles. So we add that 10 to the 100 to make it 110 and then take the percentage from, from that bigger, you know, everybody. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm not <laughs> explaining it very well, but uh, my apologies. Uh, it's factored in, though. I mean, that's it's, the, it's, yeah, yeah, it's factored in. You can see who's lost. You can see who's added, and then we try to combine those by by grouping it all together and rerunning the calculation with the the new players involved. Because uh, what I didn't want to do is just replace. So if a team lost, you know, seventy percent of its of its tackles, but then brought in, uh, you know, ten guys, and you know, basically ended up completely erasing that 70% deficit because there's still some turnover, you know, it's still new people. And, and there's a little bit of a penalty. I think that teams, you know, should and likely are to suffer when there are new people in new positions and, and all of that. Um, so this is on the offensive side of the ball, but an example that, that we used when talking about this last year uh, was Kansas state. Kansas State at the quarterback position, you know, lost a longtime starter, lost a huge percent of its returning production, but they brought in Adrian Martinez, who was, you know, had played a lot, had, had produced a lot, but had a lot of questions and there was some turnover there. So 
to, to us, it didn't make sense to just completely, you know, wipe away what was lost with Skylar Thompson to say like, oh yeah, Kansas State's going to be fine. Maybe we should have. They won the Big 12 and, and you know, even though Adrian Martinez was hurt down the stretch. Um, but we wanted to say there still is some change here. It's still not necessarily, you can't just do one for one, trade it out and everything is going to be fine. Maybe it will, but there's a good chance that, you know, there might be some bumps along the way. So we want to, uh, you know, not not just completely uh, gloss over the fact that there were these losses, if that makes sense. So absolutely, it, it might make a little more sense for, for folks who are looking at the returning production uh, database because you can see, you know, the, the actual numbers, yards, tackles, sacks, whatever it is. Uh, the percentage that's lost, the number that's lost, and then what's added. So, uh, but anyway, I probably really screwed that up. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, reach out if there are questions. Um, let's go to the 2023 returning production here, Nick, because, uh, I mean, you just look at the number one team in terms of returning production on the defensive side. FAU is returning not just slightly over 94%. Of their production and you don't see that on the reverse side just spoiler alert the team that's losing the most is western michigan on the defensive side and they're at 21.8 percent so um you don't have a team only returning six percent like you do uh fau only missing uh six percent we moved down significantly in a 10 percent drop down to middle tennessee returning 84 percent and then the other top 15 teams in terms of returning production James Madison, Florida State, Southern Alabama, South Alabama, Missouri, UCLA, Mass, uh, UMass, Wyoming, FIU, Texas A&M, Sam Houston State, Air Force, Cal, and Tennessee all returning a lot of their production. On this, um, the losing side, uh, we start with Florida. Now, obviously got a new D.C., but going to need some more production coming over slightly under. All these teams are under 50% returning. App State, Stanford, Utah State, Arizona, Bama, Tulsa, Georgia State, Texas State, Arizona State, Coastal Carolina, Indiana, Bowling Green, uh, Western Kentucky, New Mexico, Ball State, and Western Michigan all on the losing side. So um, let me break down what you expect to see in 2023 uh, from these teams that are returning a bunch of production and the teams that are not returning uh, a lot of production. Well, so again, looking at last year's you know, using last year a little bit as a guide, if you were in the top 15, on average, your team performance rating improved by almost five points. So, you know, might've gone from a, an 80 to an 85 or an 85 to a 90. And that actually equates to about a, a 33 and a half uh, spot ranking boost. So, you know, if you're looking at just the top five, so if you're trying to peg you know, where, where might we see FAU or Middle Tennessee improve these teams that are in that 80% or, or higher? Um, you know, last year, number one's most uh, experienced, returned the highest percent in, in returning production uh, defensively was Akron. They moved up four and a half spots and in, in 18 spots, or excuse me, four and a half points and 18 spots in the rankings. BYU suffered a little bit wasn't as good, even though they were super experienced. But Georgia State, Troy, and New Mexico State, who round out the top five, all saw improvements of at least 20 spots in the rankings. Troy improved 72 spots in uh, the defensive team performance rankings last year. So, you know, four out of these five teams 
made a significant improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, it might not work out for everyone, might not work out for FAU or James Madison or, you know, one of these top five teams, but 80% of those top five teams last year uh, were at least 20 spots better defensively. So I think that's, you know, that, that I think is useful. It's, it's uh, reasonable to expect that teams like Missouri, even though they took a pretty good step forward last year already, still might have some room for growth. South Alabama as a defense, I think might be one of the best at the group of five level Um, and their top five in, in returning production have a chance to be even better. A team that has some question marks, based on, you know, other side of the, the ball or, or, you know, losses elsewhere, uh, like an Air Force, a lot to replace on offense. But, you know, defensively, they're in a pretty good spot being top 15. Tennessee, explosive offense last year, had a great year, have to replace a lot of important players. But defensively, you know, there's some signs to, to uh, think that uh, there might not be a, a major drop off there. But perhaps just as maybe even more important is you know, the wrong side of the, uh, of the coin. And Xavier, I think made a great point. Um, noticing just how many of these are group of five teams and quite a few of those, you know, Tulsa, for example, uh, we mentioned them as being a team that disappointed last year defensively. They, they have an even lower, uh, returning production number this year. And part of that's they lost arguably their two best players, uh, transferred to Oklahoma state. Um, you know, Georgia State, who was really improved, even though they you know, certainly weren't perfect defensively last year, but lost uh, some of their better players to the transfer portal. You know, Coastal Carolina, we mentioned that uh, Josiah Stewart was one of the standouts defensively for Michigan in the spring game. He was a big part of that Coastal Carolina defense and the success that they had the last couple of years. Uh, so they're on the, the wrong end here. Western Michigan, you know, if you're running 80 to 100 plays, uh, but your defense is the least experienced in the country. You know, to me, that that's a little bit of a worrisome sign. New Mexico, they we talked about they lost Rocky Long, yet they are uh, you know 131st in returning production. So, uh, looking at last year as a bit of a guide, the teams in this group lost you know nearly five points. So basically, a, a mirror image of the teams at the top, and then dropped. Uh, you know, 27, almost 28 spots in the national rankings. Only three teams improved if they ranked 117th or worse last year. And Xavier, of course, mentioned Georgia. They were one of those teams. Uh, they didn't improve a ton in the rankings, just one spot, but certainly were good enough to, to win a national title. Uh, Ball State moved up 13 points, even though they ranked 124th. Georgia Tech moved up 40 spots in the rankings uh, even though they ranked 118th in returning production, but everybody else, 12 out of the 15, slipped in the rankings. And, and we saw some big moves. West Virginia dropped 84 spots. Hawaii dropped 72 spots. Nevada dropped 53 spots. Uh, Oklahoma State, 56 spots. Coastal Carolina, 67 spots. So um, similarly, you know, it might not work for everybody. Maybe Florida hit a home run higher. Uh, you know, hit, hit a home run by hiring Austin Armstrong. Maybe he's the next elite defensive coordinator and, and really can help them turn around that defense. However, they're sitting in a spot where it looks like, you know, 80 plus percent of teams 
uh, you know, who return that level of production, that little bit of production, actually see their defensive team performance rating drop, you know, 25 to, to 30 spots. So not necessarily a great sign for a team like Florida, not a great sign for Tulsa, who has a new coaching staff, currently doesn't have a defensive coordinator name. They're one of two teams in the country that doesn't have a defensive coordinator right now. Um, you know, not necessarily a great sign for Arizona State. I've heard a lot of things to like uh, so far this spring about what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball. But, uh, you know, as I we kind of have alluded to in, in a lot of our spring discussions so far, every time you hear, you know, a glowing report about an offense, you also need to think in the back of your mind, well, what does that say about the defense? Um, Arizona State, one of the lowest, uh, you know, they're, they're 42.8% in returning production. That ranks 126th out of 133 FBS teams. Only one Power 5 defense uh, returns a lower percentage. That's Indiana, uh, who's another one of those you know, really fast-paced offensives last year, which you know not necessarily a great sign there either. Um, but, you know, at least using last year as a guide, and there are similar findings in past years, even though those, those 2022 numbers are, are you know, still a little uh, tough to parse out. Um, but if you have to replace uh, such a large percentage of your defense, over 50%, just sort of as a general rule of thumb, 55% for sure, uh, chances are very, very high likelihood you're going to have a worse defense. Yeah, Xavier, looking at these teams, what interests you, what piques your interest from the teams that are returning a lot of production or the teams that are, aren't uh, returning a lot of that? Well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I agree with Nick. I think what, what you're seeing is, you know, with, with certain coaching changes, like I said, you've got to restock the cupboards in some of these situations. So when I look at a Florida, I, you know, I know I always on this, that, you know, the older the garbage, the more it stinks. But for Florida, right, the lack of production that they're returning might be a good thing. You're getting a lot of, you know, and, and, and Nick knows this term from soccer, but they call it deadwood, uh, which is old players that have maybe been around for, for a little bit too long that haven't done much. Um, and so maybe that we see an uptick in performance from a team that has lost some guys that maybe weren't as good as the, as, as the kids behind them, right? Um, you know, for teams like, you know, um, and then on the flip side, you look at returning production for, you know, the guys who are bring a ton back, right? I look at teams like A&M who have done extremely well in, in recruiting over the last couple of years, and this is the time for those guys to step up, right? Though This is the time that if Texas A&M is going to have the best defense in the SEC or one of the best teams in the SEC, it's because of the guys that they got two classes ago, three classes ago, right? You know, this is their time to step up. And I I, I know I'm getting the, the you know, the proverbial thumbs down from Scott, but look, <laughs> look if you're an A&M the fan. The literal you know, thumbs down if, yeah, you, know. if you ever <laughs> see the video. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you know, so I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you look at some of these teams that are going to be bringing back a ton of returning production, Florida State, you, that, that's huge, right? And I know Jared versus probably uh, maybe a solid chunk of that. Um, but even that is extremely big for, extremely huge for them in a year where you think if Florida State's going to make that jump back into being a contender, this is the year to do it, right? Um, even Tennessee, once again, a younger defense like a, an A&M that has to take the next step if they're going to take the next step as a team. Um, and that's what I see a lot from these uh, from, the, from these returning production numbers, especially for your bigger schools, is teams that have had, quote-unquote, excellent uh, recruiting classes who those kids came in right away and began to play. Um, and maybe on the field they weren't producing – you know, that much, but they were freshmen. They were sophomores. I like next year. I expect Georgia to be on this list because 
will lose maybe like two guys to the draft after this upcoming season. But most of the kids that play this year and next year will be juniors going into year three. So they, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, when it comes to these bigger recruiting classes, these more talented recruiting classes, you're seeing kids start earlier in college football. And obviously it's leaning or it's, it's leaning to, you know, having huge returning production numbers for some of these bigger schools that changed coaches maybe two or three years ago. And now it's time for those kids to step up and play um, at, a, at an extremely high level. Um, and you'll see that as beat riders will get closer to the season. Yeah, they'll, they'll absolutely be like the defense returns this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this defense should at the very least be one of the better defenses, um, you know, in their respective conferences. All right. So what player, like what players, Nick, when you look at the defensive side, what are you, who are you most looking forward to seeing this year? I know Jared verse is like the top of everyone's list, but is there a certain, is there a certain unit you're looking forward to seeing whether it's, you know, any full team or a linebacker unit or a defensive back unit? All right, Xavier, we'll start with you then. Uh, yeah. Xavier, who who are you looking forward the most to seeing on the defensive side of the football in 2023? Georgia's possibly best pass rusher of the last half a decade. I think Michael Williams is going to be a stud. The kid played a lot of snaps last year, had a sack in the national title game, I believe, also had a sack um, in the semifinal, I believe, as well. This is a kid that's absolutely electric. Uh, Georgia, for all its greatness and defense over the last, you know, since Kirby has got there, Having a pure pass rusher is something that they've missed. Um, you know, you had Adam Anderson for maybe half a season uh, before, obviously, his situation. Uh, and you had Nolan Smith come in and out of the lineup due to what's going on with, you know, with him. Even Trayvon Walker, I think, finished at Georgia with four and a half sacks the year he got drafted number one. Uh, yeah. Michael Williams is a guy who I think could hit eight, nine, might even hit double digits. He's just that good as a pass rusher and as a true freshman was ridiculous. That, that defensive line as a whole, you've got Jordan Davis Jr. and Bear Alexander. Uh, and I mean that 100%. The kid is, I think, just as big uh, girth-wise as uh, as uh, Jordan Davis was in a little bit of a smaller package. He came into Georgia at 6'3", 325. He's a menace um, and got a lot of reps towards the end of the year as well. So those two kids in particular I'm extremely excited about. But Michael Williams, I think, is one of those guys who I, we haven't had at Georgia in a long time, which is a double-digit pass, a double-digit sack guy. Nick, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, what are you looking forward to most, whether it's a defense as a whole, a group, or just a single player? Uh, well, so the first thing that, that comes to mind for me, and, and you know, we, we mentioned them briefly earlier, uh, but for a team like USC, who I fully expect to rank really, really high in our power rankings, I, I feel like, um, you know, they might be top three, uh, probably going to be in the mix uh, in, in a lot of our conversations when we talk about national championship futures, playoff contenders, things like that. Uh, but, and, and I know, you know, Xavier is going to mention it and he's not the only one, you know, but that they were so bad last year. And we've seen, uh, you know, defenses that are, you know, where Lincoln Riley is the head coach. We saw it in Oklahoma uh, plenty. And, and, you know, it's certainly uh, a trend, uh, you know, to, to where they're just not, don't play great defense. Um, and it, it really, really uh, potentially limits that high end upside that our numbers are going to expect. So I look, you know, at what USC has done, in the transfer portal, 
uh, our defensive lineman that they brought in, like Kyron Bars, who's a uh, you know big uh, interior defensive lineman from Arizona, is going to be a big part of reshaping that that you know front unit, uh, that that front four. Jack Sullivan, a transfer from Purdue, you know, productive, experienced, uh, probably going to start at defensive end. They've got a couple of guys who were uh, injured last year. You know, transfers like. Uh, you know, Solomon Bird, I know he played 14 games, but I feel like he was, if memory serves, he was somebody who was limited a bit at times. Eric Gentry, who, um, you know, big rangy linebacker, uh, really has excelled at times as an edge rusher, uh, but has played, you know, inside linebacker, uh, was also, uh, you know, missed time last year, only played in 11 games. Um, some under you know, underperforming players like a, a Corey Freeman, who was a, a five-star recruit, but, you know, hasn't really uh, shown that level, you know, that that high ceiling that he was expected to have uh, as a recruit coming out of high school. So are they going to be able to put together a unit that will improve? And USC does rank 21st in defensive team performance. So, you know, they're not in that top 15 level where we expect you know, it's 80% likely they'll improve, uh, but USC probably should improve. I mean, they, they really you know, struggled so much uh, last year that you would, spe- you would expect that there's really uh, not nowhere to go but up in, in some respects. Um, but how much can they improve? Uh, how much can rebuilding a unit through the transfer portal, bringing in, you know, some high upside guys like Jamil Muhammad, the transfer from Georgia State, who hasn't you know, put together a ton of production, uh, but has sort of that elite, um, you know, athletic profile as, as a guy who converted from, uh, he was a four-star quarterback recruit at Vanderbilt, who transferred to Georgia State, ended up moving to defense, you know, played very little uh, defense at the FBS level, and now is potentially going to start at USC, who's uh, a lot of people would say, myself included, a playoff contender. So how is that going to come together? They're, they're mixing in experienced players like Bars and Sullivan and, and uh, you know, corner Christian Roland Wallace from Arizona, uh, Mason Cobb, linebacker from Oklahoma State, uh, and then some high upside guys who really haven't established themselves as much like Anthony Lucas, defensive lineman transfer from Texas A&M. So, um, I'm, I'm intrigued by a team like that. I'm certainly intrigued uh, by a team like Alabama, uh, who has to replace, you know, Will Anderson as good as he was. Obviously, they've got Dallas Turner there, who should be able to just, you know, step in those shoes and, and perform uh, really, really well. But, you know, who else? Um, Alabama's really low on our uh, returning production rankings nationally, overall, both offense and defense. I mean, they're 120th or worse uh, in, in each of those three categories. So, you know, new faces at a place like Alabama, new faces at, um, you know, a less established uh, defense like USC, but still has, you know, those high expectations. Um, but then also, you know, what are some units that are uh, going to improve? Uh, like a Texas A&M who disappointed so much last year, but still is very, very talented. Um, so I'm looking more, you know, units rather than players, at least right now. Um, but uh, those, you know, high-end teams 
um, specifically USC and, and Alabama on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as you know what they've got coming back compared to how well they've played in the past or, or how poorly uh, in some instances. Um, th- those are those are teams that are sort of top of mind for me right now. Xavier, you said you wanna you wanted to add one more. Yeah, uh, Ohio State's got names now. Whether or not those names actually produce all year is one thing, but you've got you got names at every level of that defense that could very well be first round picks. Like, and I mean that in the most genuine way, first or second round picks next year. You've got Lathan Ransom in the back end uh, as their safety. You got Denzel Burke, one of the top five cornerbacks going in next year's uh, class. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg, a prototypical Ohio State linebacker, just gets his nose dirty every single game. It seems like. I mean, and they've got a combination on the uh, on the outsides at the, both DM with JT. Uh, I'm just gonna say JT because I don't want to butcher it right now, and we're short on time. Um, and Jack Sawyer, true them out, yeah, true them out. Okay, cool. Um, Jack Sawyer and JT, both of them, I think, could be menaces. Jack Sawyer was one of the top kids in his class, um, and there was a lot of fanfare around him. I think last year was a cool year for him, but this year he's poised to he's poised to explode. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, yeah, he was playing behind guys like Zach Harrison. They had a very senior-laden uh, edge, uh, a pass rush last year. That wasn't necessarily great, but, you know, reps over you know, reps over talent sometimes. And I think Jack Sawyer is one of those guys who we're looking at the end of the year like, yo, this kid could go top 10 if he really has the kind of year that everybody expects him to. Um, he, he, he was kind of like that Breesy. He was kind of like Breesy coming out of high school. Everybody was like, yo, this kid's going to be a menace at the next level. Well, Tumalau, we saw him beat yeah. Penn State like single-handedly yeah. last year. Was right. it the Penn State yeah. game or Indiana? Yeah. I can't I believe remember. it was Penn State. Yeah. I mean, he just wrecked them. He just took it over. It, yeah, I mean, it was one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen. And, and uh, yeah, so lots of stars coming back. Uh, Going to be a lot of returning production here. A lot of fun. So uh, defense a little quicker than the offensive side here. Uh, but that will wrap it up for us today. We didn't miss anything, right, Nick? That's everything? We got it all? I think that's it. As soon as we hang up, I'm sure I'll, I'll think of something. And I oh, wish yeah. I had a better description. <laughs> wish I had a better explanation for how we actually do the production. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we, we can, uh, we'll, we'll put that in the notes. We made corrections. You know, we had notes from last week's show and this week's show. We, we, we That's the positive, positive thing about coming to you every single week week is that uh we will uh be sure to touch on that next week but remember you can follow us all on twitter at bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for nick and at xavier underscore trist here icg for xavier and we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody thank you to our patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects thanks also to blake austin for our theme music to learn more about cfb winning edge visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.